The Start. On Demand. On Demand. As we continue to look back at one year of COVID-19 in Manitoba, today's focus was on school and how things have changed. Global's Amber Magookin brings us a story about how some of those who have been most hard hit at school are first-year university students. We'll also speak to a young man who made the jump from junior high to high school during the pandemic. We presented another Manitoba unsolved mystery today, the murder of 23-year-old Jacqueline Dick from Friday, October 3rd, 1980. Today, we spoke to her daughter, who was five years old at the time, and her sister. We asked the question, is there another bike shortage in Winnipeg? And more on school, the dumb things we did in school that got us in trouble. I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb, who's filling in for Jeff Courier. We are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Tuesday, March 9th podcast for The Start. Mackling and McGarry, McNabb is in for Jeff Courier once again today. And I want to start uh, with something that Fortier just brought to my attention because I thought maybe that it was just an anomaly in my taxi this morning, but it could be a sign that there is uh, trouble afoot, GMAC. When I rolled in just after four, uh, my cab driver, I, I took a Unicity taxi this morning and I tried to pay with my Visa card and it didn't work. It said the, something like the, the machine said Moneris needs to sync with Moneris. So I tried it. He reset it. I tried it again. He reset it again. I tried it a third time. Wouldn't work. And they, he finally just said, you know what? It's okay. I'll just pay me next time. Because he, uh, it's a, one of the guys that I get pretty regularly. Oh, boy. Uh, nice cabbie named Sonny. And uh, I thought, okay, well, maybe it was just his machine. Because sometimes those machines don't work. Like yesterday, the, the machine wasn't working for the guy. He had to power it down and, and turn it back on. Uh, but Forte, you're telling me you had a similar situation in your Duffy's taxi this the morning. The exact same situation, the exact same problem with the machine. But yeah, I was with Duffy's and uh, that didn't work. And uh, the cab driver asked me if I had cash. I said no. And he asked me if I could go and use the bank machine uh, at the Bombard building here, which is Bank of Montreal, which I'm not with. And I said to him like, hey, this is going to cost me extra money just to pull money out just to be able to pay you. And uh, anyways, I, I finally said, okay, I'll go to the machine. I went to the machine, and by the way, BMO, half your, <laughs> your touch screen is not working, so for me to click on checkings, <laughs> I had to click random spots on the, on the right side of the screen where checkings was on the left, so I ended up staying in the rain, playing with the machine for a good two <laughs> or three minutes. Brand new bank. Yeah, I finally got my $20 out. Went back to the cabin. He was gone, so... Uh, <laughs> he was so, gone! So I, I actually phoned the company, and I said, hey, I didn't pay for my cab, you know, if, uh, if if he says, like, hey, I didn't get paid, like, I will pay, but, you know, let me know. They said they'd call me back if they heard anything, so... Okay. Isn't that something? So the reason we bring this up, I guess, is if you're trying to pay with your card somewhere today mm-hmm. and you have a problem, let us know. Did you stop for a tea or anything this morning on the way I in? did. Uh, I don't know what time that transaction would have been, maybe 3.40 this okay. morning. I didn't have any trouble, but it's not unusual for those systems to go down. So, yeah, I think that's a great thing to know if you're having a, a system issue, if you're an operator or if you're a customer and you've had an issue trying to pay for something, let us know so we can give everyone's a, one a heads up. The other day I went, I forgot my wallet, Brett McGarry, probably five times in the last three weeks with all this changing weather. <laughs> and the other day I went to Home Depot to return something and sure enough, I did not have my wallet. So I said, well, you can just give me a gift card. No, you don't have any ID. I'm like, no, I don't have any ID. So they actually gave me cash. It was probably the first time I had any cash on me in several months for sure. And so then I went and bought some stuff and I was a dollar six short. And so the, the, uh, how much do you have? I I showed her how much money I had, $44 and something cents. She goes, just a sec, I'll fix that. And she gave me a dollar something discount. She said, I didn't want you to have to go all the way home to get the dollar something and not be able to work on your project. So that was really kind. And then yesterday, beautiful weather, record high yesterday. I had a Taco Bell craving. 
I went through the drive-thru, I got my order straight, and then realized I did not have any way to pay oh, for no. my order, so I pulled up to the window, guys, cancel my order, stop doing what you're doing, I do not have a method of payment, so I think today I am going to download Apple Pay onto my phone, finally, I know that doesn't work everywhere, but it certainly works lots of places, if I'm going to continue to walk around without my wallet, I'm going to have to do something so that I can pay when I forget it at home. What did you order at Taco Bell? Oh, just Tacos Supreme, you know, the good old tacos, soft tacos Supreme. How many? Just two. Just two? Just two. That's like a, just a tiny little it snack. Like, it was a snack. Okay. It was a snack. I've been trying to stay out of the drive through for months now, but I had uh, about four things I had to do yesterday afternoon, and I had 35 minutes to eat and uh, going home to eat healthily just wasn't a possibility. Fair enough, fair enough. And I guess you know we're we're uh, I don't want to say we're we're aging, but we're not we're not teenagers anymore. When I used to you know pound six tacos supreme without breaking a sweat, now that might be a bit more of a challenge. I'm kind of now now I'm craving Taco Bell. <laughs> sorry, so, buddy. No, no, don't be sorry. <laughs> it's been. I didn't mean to plant that seed. Even though I used to work there, uh, it's been years now since I have been to a Taco Bell. So uh, that seed has been planted. We'll see. Uh, we're actually going to talk a bit more about another fast food chain that is in some hot water for a whopper of a tweet. We'll get into that in our next segment. And as well today, the focus of our week-long series on looking back at one year of COVID-19 in Manitoba. It was March 12th where health officials revealed that COVID-19 had arrived in our province. So all week long, we're looking at various ways that this has changed everything in our life. And today's focus is going to be on school. So at 7.07, we're going to hear from Global's Amber McGookin, who talks about how some of the people who have been most affected by this are first-year university students. But we also are going to use that as a springboard for a more lighthearted conversation. At 6.45, we want to know about something dumb that you did in school that got you in trouble. And we need you to text us at 204-780-6868 for a chance to win two tickets for Zoo Lights at Assiniboine Park. I'm excited to hear your story, Greg, and you don't have to reveal it now because as soon as I mentioned even just the possibility of discussing this, you turned around and immediately started feverishly jotting something down. You're like, oh, I already know what story I'm going to tell. The irony, this is all I'll say, the irony is that I had a pen in my possession to jot down the note. So here's the tweet that went out yesterday, which was International Women's Day, by the way. So the tweet from Burger King UK reads as follows. Quite simple. Women belong in the kitchen. And then there's a follow-up tweet that says, if they want to, of course, yet only 20% of chefs are women. We're on a mission to change the gender ratio in the restaurant industry by empowering female employees with the opportunity to pursue a culinary career. And then another tweet that reads, we are proud to be launching a new scholarship program which will help female Burger King employees pursue their culinary dreams. All right, so that's cool that they're launching this scholarship, but the way that they chose to do it, of course created i mean it was like it was just like you know like mr burns saying release the hounds you put something like that out into twitter and uh well that's exactly what happened the hounds were released (laughs) right yeah i mean i'm a big fan of the ellipsis the three dots when i'm writing in order to make sure there's a a gap either if you're reading what i'm writing or if i'm reading it out loud myself Mm mm-hmm I like that dramatic pause from time to time. The dramatic pause on Twitter, separated by separate tweets, doesn't always work. No, and and I guess this started as uh, it was actually a print campaign. I'm looking at a story. There's a global news story, which we've linked to our Instagram if you want to read on that, but also uh, Adweek pointing out that it started as uh, uh, like a full-page print ad in the New York Times. And that ad starts with women belong in the kitchen, but then it goes on. I mean, that's in the big, bold letters, but then it goes on to explain uh, the rest of what they're talking about. But, of course, everywhere I turned, people were saying, so you're, ca- you're using misogynistic humor 
to try to capitalize on your message on International Women's Day of all days, and naturally it didn't work for them. No, it's a misfire big time on their part. It's so funny because in the sense that you know it wasn't just one person sitting in the back room somewhere going... I know what I'm going to do today. This will be pretty funny. (laughs) It had to go through multiple levels of approval in order for this to take place. Social media teams and then their managers and then probably the managers of all the international and national branding and advertising had to approve this. This wasn't just one person's mistake. There were a lot of high-paid people who blew this one. And so is this... Intent versus perception, or is this just plain dumb? You have to imagine that this was a calculated risk that they took, that the, that no one would stand up and say, we can't do this, this is wrong. It's almost as though they, they said, we're going to take this chance because it's going to get us some headlines. People are talking about Burger King once and the, again. And, and we still are. Yeah, we're talking. <laughs> we're talking about it right now, but... Uh, I mean, the first thing I thought of was this moment from The Simpsons. Hey, hey, tonight I'm going to suck (laughs) your blood. (laughs) Hey, hey, tonight. Oops, sorry. (laughs) Somebody gave Krusty the instruction. Dramatic pause. (laughs) (laughs) They're flipping the the cue card. (laughs) Your blood. So let us know what you think, 204-780-6868. Of course, if you want to read more on that story, we've linked the Global News story to our 680CJOB Instagram story. Coming up after Global News at 630, the varying efficacy of the vaccines. We are going to continue our week-long series on looking back on one year of the pandemic. The focus today is school at 745. We're going to talk to a student who's made the jump from junior high to high school during a pandemic. But right now, we want to have some fun on the subject of school. And we need you to tell us a story at 204-780-6868 for your chance to win two tickets for Zoo Lights at Assiniboine Park. you got to tell us something dumb that you did in school that got you in trouble. So Mackling's here, Cam Poitras is here, Jeff Braun is here, Jeff Forte. (laughs) Jeff Braun, what kind of hijinks did you get up to in Altona? I didn't get up to a whole lot, and the story I want to tell, I don't remember specifically what I did, but I remember very specifically what my punishment was. Now, I assume I was just being disruptive. I was a little kid like that. This is in grade three. So elementary school, and I like, you know, making the other kids laugh at the expense of whatever the teacher was trying to get us to focus on. And one day for class, the principal was actually our sub, and he had a lower tolerance for tomfoolery than the teacher, I suppose. So (laughs) after a couple of minutes of me uh, doing my little comedy routine, he literally picked me up and hung me on a hook on the wall (laughs) by my sweater. (laughs) So my feet are dangling three feet off the ground, and I'm just up there for about, I don't know how long it was. Maybe it was only a couple of minutes. It felt like it was for half an hour or something like that. But um, it it helped me learn my lesson. I was a little less disruptive after that. I know that. It was weird. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. And, and like, your clothes held? Like, they didn't rip? Yeah, no. I I must have had, like, a... a uh, a pretty tough sweatshirt or a hoodie of some sort. I can just case. imagine your your feet dangling there. And uh... <laughs> uh, what about you, Portress? Uh So I was in grade two, and they decided it was. I think it was probably near Christmas time, and they decided that they were going to bring all the kids in for a concert. I thought great. And uh, but the problem was the concert was a bunch of you know middle aged to early sixties women, and they had all they played they all had white gloves on and they played bells and they played songs with bells, and I just was so bored. I remember just absolutely <laughs> hating it. And so, anyways, I wasn't alone. So they bring uh, so we, we go back to the class and and my teacher looks at us and says, "Oh, wasn't that a wonderful concert? All you kids must have absolutely loved it." And uh, Ryan Manning in the in the front, he puts up his hand and says, I didn't like it. And so uh, the teacher then says, that's it. You know, you go put your head down on your desk. She said, does anybody else have anything else to say? Anyone else didn't like that? And I put up my hand and I said, I didn't like it either. So I had to go put my head down as well. Uh, so... Uh... <laughs> Class nap, that's all right. <laughs> yeah. You and Ryan Manning are uh, kindred spirits. Yes, but who thinks that a bunch of like six, seven, eight year olds want to watch a bunch of women play bells for like 
45 minutes. It was horrible. That's well, I, Now, if you were to watch that concert today. I might like it. Okay. I might like it, yeah. But kids, not so much. No, no. Okay. Do you remember any of the songs they played? Oh, it was like Silver Bells, and it was so lame. Like uh, <laughs> Jingle Bells. It was terrible. Okay. Vorte. Uh, uh, not my proudest moments. Uh, high school, got busted for smoking the ganja. Oh, oh no. no. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> on school property or inside the school? Well, no, it was just off si- off the school property, and uh, I guess a parent saw me and my buddy uh, having a little toke. So we, we walked back to the school, and uh, he's outside. He's having a cigarette. I'm inside the school waiting for him, and this was this was the last day of school before Christmas, <laughs> for Christmas break. And uh, the principal comes walking out, and she points at me. She goes, you, stay there. She goes and grabs my buddy from outside. Greg's been nice, like, you, both use the office, so go to the office. He goes to uh, the vice principal's office. I was in another vice principal's office. They separated us, and my buddy's saying, no, 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 we weren't smoking it, we weren't smoking it. And there I am being like, oh, yeah, we did. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, anyways, got, got suspended. Uh, but like I said, it was the last day of school for Christmas break, so I had an extended Christmas break. Oh, yeah! <laughs> Score for fortune. And uh, my buddy, who I got suspended with, he was my next-door neighbor. So as we're suspended, <laughs> we would hang out, watch some movies. And? Clouds of smoke. Cheech and Chong. What a punishment. Mackling. Uh, just remind me never to do anything nefarious with Forche as my backup as he, he'll wrap me out immediately. Uh, I mentioned that it was ironic I had a pen... Uh, to write down my thought of, of which story I would tell. That's because in grade seven in Mr. Avon's class at River Heights School in Brandon, I went to class probably for the third time in five days without a pen or pencil. He sent me to the library to write a hundred lines. I will bring a pen to class. I had to write it with my fingernail. Ah, and never ever did I forget a pen or pencil. Oh my! God. Again, it was a very, it was a very effective punishment. Uh, with your fingernail? With my fingernail on a chalkboard? Oh or, no! Sorry, on a piece you, of paper? Oh, on a piece of paper? Oh, thank goodness what, oh, I, I didn't have to do it. Okay, on a hang chalkboard. on. Sorry. So, did you just have to carve it into the paper? Or? Exactly. Exactly. Uh. It's a hundred lines, and you know, you can imagine using uh, my Peter Pointer and uh, just drawing. I will. <laughs> Not forget. Oh man! Yeah, a hundred lines. <laughs> so I don't know. That's forty years ago. Plus, never forgotten it. Interesting to see how discipline has changed. So, what we need from you: two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight. Tell us a story of something dumb you did in school that got you into a whole lot of trouble. And the winning text just after nine fifteen gets two tickets for Zoo Lights at Assiniboine Park. Mackling and McGarry, McNabb is in for Jeff Career. We are asking you at 204-780-6868 to tell us a story about something dumb you did in school that got you into trouble. Jody says, I went to a small school in Alberta. We had a Christmas concert inclusive of grades one through six when I was in the fourth or fifth grade. As we were waiting for the concert to commence, I convinced a group of younger kids in my vicinity that we were going to sing the chorus of Islands in the Stream by Kenny Rogers and Dolly Parton as opposed to the upcoming Christmas Carol. No one really knew the words, but a group of children screaming Islands in the Stream along to the tune of Silent Night did not go over well. I was ratted out. Sadly, I can't tell you what the punishment was. As soon as I heard the song, I had read Jody's text. I'm like, oh, this is great. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Thanks for that. And Don sends us a story. Well, he texts with us all the time. We love hearing from Don. And he said this, in grade nine welding class, the teacher, this was at Orville Campbell at, or Orville Campbell was the name of the teacher at Hillcrest High School in Thunder Bay. Dwelled in the dangers of arc welding to the point I was terrified. So I skipped class for, get this, Brett, 33 straight days. (laughs) (laughs) On day 33 at supper, Dad asked me how welding class was going. Of course, I lied and said, great. 
Then he told me my welding teacher was in his curling league or oh, on his no. curling team and mentioned I hadn't been to class in that magical 33 days. Dad then suggested I show up the rest of the year or he would spot weld and I had to edit this uh, pair of body parts to the wall. <laughs> I manage to pass the course. Thanks, Don. Keep those text messages coming at 780-6868. We'll give away those two tickets to the Zoo Lights Festival at Assiniboine Park just after 9.15 based on your text messages. And part of the reason why we're talking about school on a lighthearted sense is that it ties into what we're about to discuss right now because it was March 12, 2020 when health officials in Manitoba confirmed we had our first presumptive case of COVID-19. One year ago this Friday, All week long, we're going to be looking back at how the pandemic has turned everything upside down. And today, we are focusing on school. And as uh, Global's Amber Magookan explains, some of those people experiencing the most change are in their first year of university. Like many first-year university students, Sarah Stace doesn't know her way around campus just yet. But because of the COVID-19 pandemic, even with a couple of months left in her first year of university, she's only been to the University of Manitoba a handful of times. It definitely is a bit of shock coming in any time I get to come to the university. It's overwhelming because I haven't had that first year to explore the entire campus. Stace, like others in the 2020 graduating class, have had their graduation services and receptions cancelled due to the pandemic and had to finish high school online. That experience spilling over to the first year of post-secondary. Not at all (laughs) what I was expecting earlier, knowing that university is such a big jump from high school and then now it's just it doesn't feel like a big jump because I finished high school from my bedroom and now I'm continuing university at my desk in my room as well. I would have water which is a pH neutral or at least assumed pH neutral and we're going to have the conjugate base. With online lectures, making new friends in a virtual classroom is a challenge for many university students. Once you leave high school, you're ready for something new and ready for a bigger step. I do think that I have lost a bit of that social aspect, which everyone looks forward to in getting to meet new people and getting to go to classes with other people, just sitting beside someone else. That's a huge thing that I think we take for granted every day in regular in-person classes, and I am looking forward to that, and I think everyone is looking to that social aspect because that's the biggest part of university that we are missing out on right now. Stace is using that extra time this year to focus on her studies and hopes that in the future she can have some of that normal university experience. Amber McGookin, Global News. Some people might think it sounds whiny to complain about the fact that the social element is lacking from the university experience right now, but that is, in my books, almost as important as the academic component because the, you know, the, especially if you're going into university right out of high school, because you're going through a massive transition, you're transitioning into adulthood, and the social experience can really kind of set you on a path or, or maybe open your eyes to something you didn't realize you could do. Like I even remember my mom, signed, and I was so mad that she signed me up for this, but they had this thing called Boost. It was like a, like a weekend orientation where we actually slept at the university, and I hated that she signed me up for it, but it turned out to be one of the best experiences of my time in university. I met a lot of great people, and I, it gave me all sorts of confidence going in because I was terrified of the university experience, and because of that, I was much more comfortable. I still ended up doing lousy at school at university, but uh, I, wasn't, I can't blame Boost for that. No, but the flip side to this coin, I was listening closely to that story and just uh, remembering the transition from high school to university, any post-secondary education, it's the independence, not only on the social side, but, but with regard to studying and with regard to keeping up on your classes, your homework, your assignments, etc. And that's one of the bigger challenges. And I'm wondering if kids heading into that first year virtually are having an easier time on that front because really all they have to do is to focus on the academic side. They're not worrying about the uh, beer bash at Taché Hall at noon on Friday, yeah. which uh, you know, dis- it distracted some people. Of course, it never distracted me. 
I may or may not, I may or may not have missed. Why? Uh, <laughs> yeah, there were a couple, a handful of uh, statistics classes at nine thirty in the morning that I may have been late for or outright missed because I was at the Oak the night before. So I think that class was on Tuesday morning, and uh, I would be often be at the Oak on Monday night. Like it was such a lot to handle, right? That that shift into adulthood. And in Manitoba, of course, the 18-year-old drinking age can be a real challenge, uh, depending on when your birthday lies. Uh, it can be at the end of high school, the beginning of university. And then, really, you are on your own because your profs and your TAs don't care if you do the assignment or not. No. It's up to you. Whereas in high school, you know, you were always getting pulled along. It's like, Mac, you haven't? Turned in that assignment yet? Yeah, I know. Can I have an extra two days? You can have one day. <laughs> Friday marks one year since the first presumptive case of COVID-19 in Manitoba. And today we are looking back at the effect the pandemic has had on the education of young Manitobans. Yeah, depending on the grade you're in, Brett, the rules can vary and have varied in terms of masks or not wearing masks, class configuration and whether or not you've been at school at all. Joining us this morning is Nathan Pockler. Nathan is a grade nine student at St. Paul's High School. Good morning, Nate. Good morning, Craig. How are you? Doing great, my friend. So moving from junior high to high school, I mean, that's not easy at the best of times. How's it been for you? Well, it was definitely a giant jump, especially during COVID, because in junior high, it was a much less structured way of learning because I was already in grade eight. So it was mainly we kind of had to fend for ourselves. We might have had a little some math questions uh, given to us. But besides that, it was mainly our own responsibility to make sure we're getting exercise and making sure we're doing well. But now in high school, I go to school every single day from 8.30 to 3.15. I had a little bit of online learning, and I will, and I had a little bit of back-and-forth online learning in school. But besides that, um, I'm in school now, and it's a giant jump for COVID. So what kind of classes, uh, what different types of classes have you had in the past year? Well, in the well, this year, I'm part of all my normal classes. We switched to a semester system, but besides that, I'm doing everything you'd expect a student to do, so math, science, and it's all in learning. I have 75-minute chunks uh, periods, and but before that, for cl- classes in grade 8, it was just online, and there wasn't really any structure to it. I didn't have any specific math classes, science, so that's pretty much it. It's a, giant, it's a great difference. So, Nate, in terms of that two-week home uh, schooling period where every, all high school students were, were at home, what was, the, what was the biggest challenge there for you? I'm going to say that definitely it's mental health it was the biggest challenge for me and I think almost every other student. Because when you can't see other people and you can't go, go outside to play sports because it was pretty cold, and what you can only do is play video games and watch television if you're not doing any online learning. And at first, they seem pretty great. But after a while, they kind of just suck you in. And I think they hurt you a lot more uh, than it would have if you just never did them in the first place. So all the solutions kind of end up being your enemy in the end. And I think that negatively affects mental health. And that was my biggest challenge. So what do you think overall uh, of the ability of your schools, your overall impression of, on the ability of your schools to adjust to COVID-19? I think we're doing the best we can. For the first part last year, when COVID first hit, um, it was definitely more challenging than this year for school. It just with having no structure and having to fend for ourselves. But in this new school year, I find it's a lot better. Even if there's students who are going in uh, every other day for school, I think being able to actually see your friends and being able to socialize with people has really helped with uh, dealing with all the negative effects of COVID. And so I think that the way we're doing it now is a lot better than just stuck inside for months on end like last year. I liked your phrasing there. Solution ended up being the enemy in the end. And I think that's a really good lesson to come out of this. Anything else positive coming out of COVID-19, do you think, Nate, in terms of uh, the things we might appreciate more or some of the perspective we might have gained over the last several months? Um, I think the number one thing I appreciate now is to whenever, but I think for students, like the big thing in life is getting the summer vacation and 
having that six month summer vacation has taught me that you really need things to do or else you just don't feel good about yourself. If you're sitting on your couch for months on end, like my entire life, I thought that'd be the dream, but COVID (laughs) taught me that's not the dream in life. And it, it was suggested a couple of months back that we should just sort of have a do over, just allow students to redo the school year entirely. What do you think of that idea? I really want to graduate. I want to graduate when I'm 18, so I don't want to redo the entire school year. I don't want to do that. That's fair. Nathan Pockler on his way to St. Paul's High School. Grade 9 student started high school in the middle of this pandemic. Thanks for your time as always, Nathan. Appreciate your insight and uh, hope you have a fantastic day. Talk to you soon, man. Talk to you soon. Thank you very much for having me on here. Infinite wisdom from this young man, Greg, pointing out that It is not the dream to sit on your butt on a couch for months on end. And I notice that even after, you know, if we get a long weekend or if I take a week off in the middle of winter, it's kind of nice to get that break. But eventually you do feel an itch to actually be productive, to be making some sort of contribution to society. Otherwise, you kind of lose sight of yourself and you just sort of feel worthless. Do you remember the uh, advertising campaign Freedom 55? Yep. I think a lot of people who managed to achieve Freedom 55 took a second look and went, what am I going to do for the rest of my life? I need another career. I need to start a business. So what you think your dream is, isn't, and and once you achieve it, isn't necessarily the panacea you imagine. So uh, some great perspective there from young Nathan Pockler. I can't tell you how many guys I know who uh, ended up getting just a, a job. I know a guy who ended up going to work at Canadian Tire after he retired, just stocking shelves overnight. And all the guys who drive those shuttles for the car dealerships, they're all retirees. For the most part, it's a good point. I think they're just doing it because they're bored. You got to be busy. That's the key to you know, vitality. Is the key to life. Question of the day at cjob.com is brought to you by Mr. Furnace. Don't call them first. You'll see why. Call Mr. Furnace, 204-832-6243. And the updated question has to do with the vaccine. Does it matter to you which COVID-19 vaccine you get? Your options are yes, no, I'm not sure you'll get vaccinated, or I don't want one. Cast your vote, cjob.com. We'll put it on Twitter as well, at 680cjob. Greg, I understand Garth has, uh, how do we put this? Is the word uh, tickled the funny bone? Is that is that a term? I'm trying to, I think I'm mixing some things up there, but whatever. He made you laugh. Yeah, he's bestowed upon us like a terrific story from back in the day. School stories. Back in the very early 1990s, I was at John W. Gunn Jr. High. John Gunn! Yes. Transcona! I, I figured you might have uh, a response to that. And uh, the, the, the name of the school is also ironic with regard to the topic of this story. Got called into the principal's office where the principal and vice principal started talking to me about guns, violence, and that sort of thing. I couldn't figure out why, so I asked. They said a teacher overheard that I idolized Ted Bundy. What? Wait, wait. No, no, not Ted Bundy. Al Bundy, the shoe salesman (laughs) from Married with Children. Probably still not the best idol, but he's not a murderous psychopath. I showed them my hunter safety certificate and all was good. I know we should, gun violence in school, that sort of, this is just, this is like an episode of Three's Company. That is outstanding. And listen to this uh, email from Ian who reached out to me this morning to Brett at cjob.com, and he says, In grade five, I had the closest seat to the door. One day, my teacher took a hold of my head and pushed me towards the door, so I stood in the hallway wondering what I had been caught doing. Turns out she just wanted me to close the door. So I responded and said, she could have just asked you to close the door instead of grabbing you by your head. And he says, well, it was 1959. (laughs) Wow. Wow, wow, wow. You know, yeah, times have changed. Uh, Putting your hand on your own kid is uh, sometimes... Uh, asking for big, big trouble with the authorities. But to imagine that back in the day, teachers would put their hands on you the way that uh, some people are sharing with us this morning is is still startling, isn't it? 
Indeed it is, and you need to text us at 204-780-6868. We're going to give away a prize just after 9.15. Based on your text, the dumb things you did in school that got you in trouble, two tickets up for grabs for the Zoo Lights Festival at Assiniboine Park. Imagine growing up without a mother because she was murdered. Now imagine 40 years later, that case remains unsolved. That's the focus of our next discussion. Continuing something we've been doing for the last several months through Winnipeg Crime Stoppers and the Manitoba Association of Chiefs of Police. This is our latest Manitoba Unsolved Mystery. On Friday, October 3rd, 1980, Jacqueline Patricia Dick was killed, and police continue to try to solve this case. Detective Sergeant Tom Mackay is the police coordinator for Winnipeg Crime Stoppers. Here he is with some background. She was recently a separated uh, housewife, mother of two, living on a home on Bowman Avenue. The night in question was Friday, October 3rd, 1980. Miss Dick had gone out for the evening with her sister, brother-in-law, and a friend and left her children in the care of her nephew. She had returned home with her friend at approximately 10.45 p.m. and stayed up watching a movie. The nephew and the friend also stayed over that night, and Miss Dick had went to bed shortly after midnight. All was calm until approximately 4 a.m. when the friend reports hearing screams for help coming from Miss Dick's bedroom. A shadowy figure was seen fleeing out the back door. Miss Dick had been attacked and stabbed numerous times. She was transported to hospital, but later succumbed to her injuries. It should be pointed out that leading up to her death, she had also been the victim of some other crimes, including property damage and harassing phone calls. Also of note was that her ex-husband was out of, ta- out of town at the time of her murder. Uh, investigators do not feel that this was a random attack and think that Miss Dick was likely, likely knew or knew of her attacker. So as always, Winnipeg Crime Stoppers, we stand at the ready to take any information that could lead to the killer being brought to justice in this case. We are joined now by two members of Jacqueline Dick's family. Denise Puchinko is Jacqueline's daughter. She was five years old at the time. Darlene Todd is Jacqueline's sister, and we welcome them both to the start. Good morning, Denise. Thank you for having us. And good morning, Darlene. Yes, good morning. Thank you again for having us. Well, thank you both for taking the time to speak to us today. We very much appreciate it. Now, Denise... You were five years old at the time. Did you understand then what was happening, what had happened? Uh, Yes, I understand. Um, It was pretty brutal, loud, a lot of sirens, a lot of activity happening. And what was it like to grow up with that terrible tragedy? Um, I lived in fear. Um, Felt like we lived a very unsettled Always looking over our shoulders. Yeah, I could Always imagine. wondering. What, what, what would go through your mind? And does this continue to this day for you, Denise? It does. 24 um, 7. By the way, I'm sorry. I, I, I'm sorry to interrupt. It sounds like uh, there may be a radio on in the background. If you can turn that down, uh, that'd be good because we're in a delay right now. So we, okay. we can hear there just a bit of an echo in the background. Sorry, uh, Greg, go ahead. Yeah, Darlene, um, once again, um, just tell us about your sister. What was she like? She was a very fun loving girl. She, she was streetwise. She. You know, we didn't have a good growing up. We came from an abusive background. My dad was an alcoholic and a wife and child beater, and things were never really good. But Jackie, she was bubbly, and she was full of energy. And I don't know, she was only 23 years old, but she was my best friend. And my son, my my oldest son and her were very close. And I don't know, Jackie always looked forward to a brighter future. I just... I just can't, I could never believe that that happened to her. I couldn't believe that anybody could be that angry with her, that they would want to do something like that to her. She didn't take no garbage from anybody. She didn't take no crap from anybody. She was uh, she was quite decisive in what she wanted to do, and she, she was kind of a go-getter. I don't know what happened to her. should never, never have happened. Darlene, has there been any hope 40 years now, over 40 years this case has been under investigation. Any signs that this could be solved? You know, I often think that it, w- it that it will be and it could be. I I truly believe that I knew who killed Jackie. I think we all knew that. 
uh, the whole family felt the same way. I, my mom and dad are gone now, and and my sister and my brother. But I mean, we I think we all held out hope, and I still think that there's. I'm hopeful. I think that the police have tried very hard to find who who killed Jackie. They just can't get the the concrete proof that they need to take it to trial. So yes, yeah. I do believe that in my heart that that it will. They they will be charged. They will be found and caught. Denise, so often we hear this terminology closure and that, you know, maybe getting some resolution to who's responsible for this tragedy and, and doing what they did to your mom would, would be some sort of closure. Would that be accurate in your case? Would you would you view it that way? Absolutely. We've had a lot of credible tips that have come forward in the past year that has strengthened our belief, who we believe um, have killed my mom. Um Um, yes, I, I, I'm pretty, I'm sorry. Um, you have nothing to, to my aunt. you have nothing to apologize for, Denise. This is understandably an emotional thing for you to talk about. Darlene, the fact that police are still actively investigating this, because some might think, well, 40 years, might as well just give up. But the fact that they are still very much uh, on this case, does that unto itself uh, give you hope uh, that just in the system in general? Yes, yes, it does. I really, I, I think that the police have really done a very good job. I think that families that go through that what we've been through, they never give up. And that uh, the passion that we have to find the killer uh, is what fuels the investigation you know, and it, it gets everybody fired up. I, we go see the police every so often, maybe once a year, and <clears throat> I know Denise keeps in contact with them. We've never given up hope. We really do feel that the police are doing their work. Did, and the, the case will never be closed. They told us it'll always be open, and they're, they're, they do work on it. Every so often they change the people that are on the case that maybe get a fresh look at it from a different set of eyes. But I, I, I feel that, yes, the police are doing their work. Sorry, Darlene, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. Denise, uh, here we are over 40 years later, and some people listening, we inevitably get the question, why are people, you know, people believe that that this safe that this case might be solved all these years later? But I understand you've started a social media page and, and a Facebook. You've begun uh, getting people involved that way. Have there been any tips or information, anything that's jarring people's memories uh, that yes, might be reaching out to you? We've had quite a few tips come in and tell us exactly who the killer is. Um, they've come forward to tell us exactly what um, this person has done in the past to my mother, uh, which I do remember a lot of the crime, a lot of um, the abuse that happened to my mom from these people. I witnessed my mom being beaten up, um, terrorized. We witnessed our furniture being cut up and bricks and our house just being um, broken into and damaged. Um, so these people have come forward to tell us exactly who did these things, and they were quite adamant to the person that um, who killed my mom, and she's still alive, that person. Now, before we let you go, Denise, we also understand there is a, a movie in the works based on this case? A documentary. And when uh, has, it, has production already begun? Uh, we started doing some uh, videotaping, taking pictures, and I've, I've done a few interviews about um, my mom's story and how I grew up and stuff like that, how it's like to grow up motherless. And when any word as to when this documentary will be complete? Um, well, it sure would be nice to have it done within a year, but with COVID right now, things are at a standstill. Okay. What is the so name of the Facebook page, by the way, for if somebody wants to provide a tip? Uh, justice for Jacqueline Dick slash Hyde. And, of course, you can also go to winnipegcrimestoppers.org. You can call 204-786-8477, 786-8477, or toll-free 1-800-222-8477. Denise Pochinko and Darlene Todd, thank you very much for joining us this morning to tell us about Jacqueline Dick. You're welcome. Thank you for having us. 
Yes, thank you. MACP.mb.ca is another website as well. Manitoba Association of Chiefs of Police. That is where they feature Manitoba Unsolved Mysteries, where you can learn about stories like Jacqueline's. And as mentioned, if you have any information that can help police, don't be don't hesitate. As Crime Stopper says, see something, say something. <laughs> Just a heads up, this just came across our wire here. The RBC Canadian Open has been cancelled for the second year in a row. Golf Canada announced today the PGA Tour event June 9th to 13th at St. George's Golf and Country Club will not be held because of logistical challenges related to the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, So we'll have more on that throughout the day on CJOB. And coming up after Global News at 9.30, Christian O'Mell, host of the CJOB Sports Show, joins us for another Briar updates. But as we hear the song, as many of our discussions do, this one is born out of something which happened to one of us while not on the air. Yeah, that's right. I I touched on it earlier, walking the dogs on Sunday and a little guy was riding his bicycle on the bay and his dad was watching proudly and then he returned to the driveway and then into the garage he went and he got on a different bike and rode out onto the street. So I struck up a conversation with the dad and I looked in the garage while we were chatting. He had four bicycles in there. I said, what's going on, man? Are you opening up your own shop? He said, no. He says, there's a run on bikes again this year. And he said, I didn't want uh, my guy to be without one. So he bought four, brought them home and is deciding which one works best for his son. So it got me wondering about bikes and whether or not we are genuinely going to be facing another shortage this summer, but also got us thinking about one of the great programs in our city which takes a hands-on approach to achieving its stated vision. In this case, the vision is this. We envision a world where everyone is empowered to experience the community by bicycle. Kate Schoberg is Managing Director with The Ranch. How are you, Kate? I'm great. How are you guys doing? Well, you know what? We're terrific. Let us just start by saying this. We think your organization is fantastic, and and how you do what you do is such an example of the very best of what Winnipeg can do and our community at large does and does so office, and that's work together in the service of others. So we just wanted to tip our hat to you on that front. Oh, my goodness. Well, it's such a pleasure to talk to both of you. And, you know, really the wrench is, uh, has managed to grow such an amazing group of volunteers over time. So it's really a community story, you know, of Winnipeg, as opposed to just one or two people. So it's, it's, I'm proud to be involved, you know. So the vision is one thing. How do you execute your mission? Yeah, we have a really amazing partnership with the city of Winnipeg where uh, discarded bikes or bikes that turn up at the landfill, we're able to bring those bikes and those parts back to our shop. And then with volunteer and paid labor, uh, we refurbish the parts, put the bikes back together, make sure they're safety tested and safe to go out on the road. And, you know, sometimes we do that rebuilding through programs in the community where people learn how to build bikes and take care of their own bikes so that they have the skills to take that forward. And then the bikes get redistributed into the community and and also we put them up for sale Uh, so it's a really nice way to both reduce our pressure on the landfill get more people on their bikes and make really good use of a resource that's just sitting there right Uh, absolutely and kate just maybe just share with our listeners the way a a bicycle can change somebody's life Uh, i know when i was 16 i was hoping to get a car for my birthday but that just simply wasn't in the cards uh, for me but my grandpa did walk me out to his garage and present me with a brand new bicycle for my 16th birthday and it really did change my life in terms of where i was able to go when i was able to go there and some of the things i was able to pursue Absolutely. You know, we work with lots of kids whose families would otherwise have a hard time affording a bicycle but want the world for their kids. And so it's it's really a beautiful thing for us to be able to help out with that. Uh, similarly, you know, folks that are older that have a hard time, say, affording taking the bus or have had lots of barriers to education or employment, you know, bicycles can provide, you know, a starting step towards more involvement in the community and positive contributions. And so, you know, we kind of run the spectrum from just getting, you know, anyone onto their bike for whatever reason. 
I uh, am just thinking about how much I enjoyed riding my bike when I was a kid, whether it was my little BMX style bike with a foot brake where I would skid out and then the tires would go flat or they'd break because I was constantly skidding on gravel, much to the chagrin of my dad, or eventually had the mountain bike style. But I stopped riding a bike, I guess, when I was about 14 or 15, mostly because I was now too old to ride on the sidewalk. And I was kind of a scaredy cat. I just, I remember trying to ride on Regent Avenue once and I said, forget this. And that was it. That was the last time I rode a bike. So when you, am I alone in Winnipeg as being too scared to ride my bike on the streets? You're certainly not, you know, and you know, one of the things that we talked about in December during our cycle giving is we, we gave a bit of a history of the work that different cyclists in the city and people who would love to see more cycling in the city have done to advocate for space for cyclists on the road and just to make a little bit more space because ultimately that's a really good investment for all of us to reduce our use of the roads. You know how high our infrastructure bill is every year with the city of Winnipeg. So if we could save some money there, that'd be great. And then it's better for all of our health. And so infrastructure really makes a big difference for uh, whether or not people feel safe to be on the road competing against cars. So when you start to get into things like dedicated bike lanes and other other mechanisms to make bikes safer, that can really encourage people. But, you know, there's lots of ways that we can uh, help people feel safer on the roads just by, you know, training together, doing group rides. And these are all the kinds of things that we like to offer. Okay, before we let you go, Kate, uh, touched on it to, to start. This is what initiated my my thought to have you on the show today. And Brett mentioned the fact that he hasn't been on a bicycle in a long time. It seems as though people are rediscovering or discovering for the first time in this pandemic bicycles. So there was a run on bicycles last year and that coincided with some inability to import these things. Are you hearing that that might be a possibility again this year? And you mentioned the fact that you sell bikes also. So maybe you can uh, extol the virtues of a previously enjoyed bicycle. Absolutely. Yeah. So we we also felt that pressure last year. And, you know, it could be that people have figured it out and got their needs met by kind of like your like your your example of the dad with the four bikes have figured it out for this year. But we are hearing from our distributors that it's going to take longer for us to get, you know, our the supplies that we need in our shop than usual. And so, um, yeah, um, I, I think it's great that, you know, people are finding more enthusiasm for bikes. Uh, it's exciting to see people kind of uh, revisit, you know, a, a really fun activity that maybe they enjoyed in their youth. And so um, I encourage people to check out our website. Uh, we are open on Thursday afternoons uh, for fixes and also uh, for purchases. Um, and, uh, yeah, we, we, uh, we want to help people get on the road. So we look forward to meeting people. Kate Schoberg, Managing Director with The Wrench, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Kate, thank you very much. Have a great day, guys. Mackling and McGarry, we got to give away our two tickets for Zoo Lights at Cinnaboyne Park based on your text messages at 204-780-6868. The dumb things you did in school that got you in trouble. And Greg, let's just skip right to the winner because they actually texted us last week on something else we were talking about, which was also a great story. And I missed it last week, so... (laughs) Time permitting, I want to share that one too. But All right. Here's so our winning text. Here it is. Something stupid that I got caught with at school in grade 10 computer class, 1996. Just starting to learn about computers and programs. Rows and rows of computers. Teacher was not the greatest guy in the world. <laughs> a little justification here. But I brought a pair of handcuffs to school that oh. I had bought at the mall, San Francisco maybe, and <laughs> handcuffed my friend to her computer, both hands, you know, to the security tether so no one could steal them. Anyways, got caught and reamed out in front of everyone. Best part was that I didn't have the key to take them off. The teacher had to call the shop's teacher to come and cut them off. Total disruption of the class. (laughs) Total embarrassment for my friend. Handcuffs ended up in eight pieces. Here's, Here's the funny part or funnier part. My parents had to come for a meeting, and all the pieces were dumped on the table. My dad could not even hold back his laughter. (laughs) 
missed that part. That's a good dad. <laughs> oh, that's terrible, son. <laughs> so that, <laughs> so that is our winning story. Congratulations! But listen to this. We were talking about uh, weird uh, injury stories last week, like the dumb. Oh yes. Uh, ways you've hurt yourself. Mm-hmm. So this one's when I was in my early twenties. This is the same person, by the way. Slipped in the bathtub in my early twenties. Grabbed onto the shower curtain and pulled that and the bar on top of my head. And to make matters worse, during the slip, my big toe got stuck in the drain and popped out the metal shower stopper. There was blood everywhere. My toe was broken in a few places. Best part was I was in nursing school at the time, and it was the day of one of our final practicum requirements. So I was able to use my injury to pass my test by describing the injury and how to attempt to heal it. How did we miss that? I don't know. (laughs) My word. We get dozens upon dozens of texts every single morning when you share our stories with us. If we don't answer, it's not because we don't want to. If we don't read them on the air, it's not because they're not good. We just get so many of them. (laughs) So that's not one but two great stories. So we could call this a delayed victory courtesy of today's story. Congratulations, you win the Zoo Lights tickets. I just got to quickly say this, Greg. I am very curious to know where Environment Canada's weather station is set up at the Forks. Like, do they have it in a bunker that's protected from the wind? Because that's, that's where we get our readings, right? We're looking at the screen. That's, that's t- right. So it says 3.5 degrees, wind 8 kilometers east-northeast. I just stepped out a moment ago. The wind has picked up significantly from last hour. I mean, of course, yes, we're at Portage in Maine, and it doesn't matter if there's like Good point. a puff of wind. It feels like you're in a hurricane down there. There's no safe place. There's no sanctuary <laughs> from the wind if you're anywhere near Portage in Maine. But east-northeast, eight kilometers at the Forks. And at the airport, it's showing at, uh, at, at least as of 9 o'clock at 24 kilometers an hour. Yeah. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's picked up because it was kind of pleasant earlier with the, the gentle rain falling. Not so pleasant now. Anemometer is that the wind measuring device? They need to put that at the top of the of the uh, the, the the glass tower at the forks. Maybe they get a more accurate reading up there. Oh, that's a great idea. An anemometer. I think that's right. Well, let's just go with that because that's a fun <laughs> word to say. An anemo anemo. I can't do it already. Anemometer? Anemometer. <laughs> I think that's right. All right. I don't know, though. I'm going to stop trying. Hey, the Men's National Curling Championship continues in Calgary today with one Manitoba-based team looking for, if not needing, a winning streak to find themselves in the next round of the Briar. Mm-hmm. I followed my own advice yesterday afternoon, only to be foiled by the TV gods. I set my PVR for wildcard Mike McEwen versus defending champion of Manitoba, Jason Gunlickson. They went head-to-head yesterday afternoon. Only problem was... The game wasn't televised. Ah. <laughs> I know Christian O'Mell was as disappointed as I was. Christian joins us now, host of the 680 CJOB Sports Show. How did things turn out, uh, Christian, and how are things looking for teams at Manitoba? Well, first of all, the TV part of this, uh, you could never make everyone happy because there are people in other provinces that wanted to see Glenn Howard's team versus Brendan Botcher's team, but you're only getting one All-Manitoba game. And it's not like the Scotties where, like, every round you had an All-Manitoba game. So, <laughs> anyway, the game went to Gunlickson because in the eighth end he got four, and uh, that Oof. gave him an 8-5 win, basically. So he's now 3-0, and the only undefeated team in Pool A. Mike McEwen is at 2-2, two and two, and we've got a number of teams at 2-2 two and two already. In the other pool, you've got Brad Gushu. In Pool A, you've got Northern Ontario's Brad Jacobs. And at this point, guys, if you have two losses, you might still be able to get into the championship pool round with three. But to get to the weekend, you probably can't lose more than one more time to go along with the song you were playing. So it looks like Mike McEwen might have to run the table if he wants to make the playoff. problem is there are just so many good teams that there's going to be some carnage of t- good teams not making it uh, as far as they should have, right? You've got the, the 
two remaining games at the end for McEwen are Northwest Territories and Yukon, which you could probably pencil in or even use a Sharpie to oh, say they're going to win those. Way to jinx them now, Christian. No, Good no, job, no, I'm, I'm, no I'm comfortable saying they're going to beat those teams. But <laughs> right. you've got you've got this morning uh, the game against Glenn Howard's wildcard team skipped by Wayne Madaw, and then you got Brendan Botcher later on or tomorrow. So it's going to be tough for Mike McEwen to make the weekend. Still making the championship pool, sure, but making the weekend, uh, I don't know. But on the other side, the other Manitoba team, Jason Gunlickson facing Greg Skogie this morning from the territories. This has been a great start. They beat Brendan Botcher. They beat Mike McEwen yesterday, but, again, they've got some tough games ahead. They've got James Gratton's New Brunswick team. They're 3-1. and one. they got Brad Jacobs tomorrow afternoon. They've got Glenn Howard tomorrow night or a Thursday night, pardon me, it's, I mean, this is the thing about this Briar field. It is so strong that it's really hard to predict. Almost any number of teams out of eight or nine could potentially make the weekend right now, and that's what makes this so fun. The fact that Kevin Cooey as a wild card, remind me again, Kevin Cooey, what province typically would he play, would he play Alberta. under? Alberta, yeah. So the fact that he's the wild card and is leading that pool B, is that a surprise? Not in any way at all, because the, the, the just the way the qualification worked, right? He was Team Canada last year, and because he didn't win it, he, he didn't win his province to get automatic entry into this year's tournament. That was Brendan Botcher, so the only way for him to get in was as a wild card. But he has been outstanding so far. I mean, he's he's won four titles, so anytime Kevin Cooey's in a tournament, you know he's a threat to win it. And he's still got some tough games ahead, but beating uh, Brad Gushu the other night... He is in the uh, the less strong of the two pools. So for him to start 5-0 and is is impressive, but he's still got Matt Dunstone, he's still got John Epping, and a Quebec team that's looked pretty formidable as well. So it, it, he's been pretty good. If he goes 8-0 in the pool round, I would not be surprised because Kevin Cooey's team is really good. they got John Morris now in there too. So uh, right now, if they, I mean, if they keep going, I don't think anyone would be surprised. Christian, you do an outstanding job of uh, recapping what's going on and taking a look ahead. Um, I just don't want to get in trouble with you. I just got word from former world and uh, Canadian, multiple Canadian champion uh, Jeff Stoughton that he's going to join us on Friday morning. Do you mind if oh. you uh, if we uh, sweep you aside for the uh, magic of uh, Jeff Stoughton? Well, I guess you All have right. to. All right, just want to uh, make that clear that uh, it's not what I wanted to do, but I think I mean we what need he's to. got a few Briar wins. I've won a few times at the Thistle over the course of my career. I mean, it's it's pretty <laughs> equal, right? Yeah, yeah, it, it's very equal. It's not even the genuine or the original. The OG Thistle, the OG Thistle no, is on Minto Street, and now they've moved it over to Balmoral. But uh, we digress. Um, we have you here this morning. Jets lease tonight, 4 o'clock pregame, 6 o'clock mm-hmm. face-off right here on the radio voice. Of the Sully. Pitch- Hi, Sully. Good Sully! morning. Ow. He's disagreeing with you already. I haven't even I've, asked you the I've, question. I've already fed him. I don't know what he wants. I don't, he just wants attention all the time. I don't I don't understand cats. Uh, <laughs> to sit here and listen to Sully Mew for the next three minutes. Hey, to the chagrin of uh, many Jets fans, uh, yourself, uh, I don't know where you stand, but for me, uh, included in that, it would appear as though the Jets will ice the same lineup as appeared or disappeared, if you like, in the 7-1 loss in Montreal Saturday night. Would you be making any changes if it was up to you, Coach O'Mel? Yeah, you see, the the tricky thing is uh, the the lightning rod right now is Nathan Bully, right? He's the guy that I think uh, Jets Twitter is hating on the most. He's playing, at the moment, the, the least amount of defensive minutes. He did get a minus four in the Montreal game, but everyone was bad in the Montreal game. Long term, is Bully going to be a part of their plans? No, but this season, I know they really like having Hanela playing a lot at the AHL level. The question would be, I guess, you take out Bully, you put in Sammy Niku. It's more so perhaps the the way the the forwards are arranged. I don't, I don't really think the the trio of Dubois, Connor, and Ehlers has worked all that well so far. I know they got the overtime goal in Montreal. Three games together, they haven't generated much. Uh, defensively, they're a bit better than they were, but offensively, uh, maybe it's not working. And we knew that putting them together last week, you you couldn't just make a judgment off one or two games. Tonight is game four for them together and if it's not working after tonight maybe you give a one more try but we know paul maurice is somebody that's not afraid to to change up the line stasny on the top wing that that line has worked but 
if the second line's not working, wh- what happens then? There's a lot of options, right? When you've got 12 different pieces, you can move them in any number of different ways. But if I were, I, I try this tonight, sure, because there was no lineup that was probably going to win on Saturday, just the way it worked out. And then if it doesn't work after tonight, then, yeah, you'll definitely see some changes Wednesday, I'd say. Or not Wednesday, Thursday, pardon me. That's all right. Uh, when we used to do the sports show together, I used to call Brian Little the, the straw that stirs the drink. Mm. Is Paul Stastny the straw that stirs the drink this year? Looks like it, doesn't it? He's he's successful wherever you put him, right? He's been a strong player on the left wing there. He's been a strong player in the middle with whoever's been on his wings. Where would what's the optimal usage of Paul Stassi? Is it on the wing? Probably not. It's probably in the middle. But then who, who gets demoted out of their current role? Probably in an optimal playoff situation, Paul Stasny is your third line center, and then your fourth line center is Adam Lowry, and you have Thompson out of there. That's probably in the in the best case scenario in a playoff series. That's what you're looking at. But we are still not quite halfway through the season. There's still a lot to figure out with the chemistry. There's still a lot for the organization to to look at and see what they have so you don't need to have your final solution now but you're starting to learn that Paul Stasny's pretty good wherever he is so you feel comfortable wherever you put him he's not the one you're worrying about is what I'm trying to say if you're Paul Maurice Christian O'Mell is the host of the CJOB Sports Show, which is weeknights, 6.30 to 9, unless there's a Jets game. And tonight there is yeah. a Jets game, 4 o'clock yeah. pregame, 6 o'clock faceoff. Christian and Sully. <laughs> right on cue. Yeah, oh, you, you're training that, that cat, aren't you? Yeah, well, I think the problem is I'm not training him, and that's why we're at this point. <laughs> Christian, pleasure as always, sir. Thank you. Thanks, guys. And for more Sully adventures, by the way, make sure you follow Christian on Instagram at Omel. He's every day. There's a, it's the latest installation of installment of uh, his adventures with Sully. Sully Graham. Yeah, I love it. It's great stuff. I can always tell too if Christian poses uh, posts a video with a song like Rockwell, somebody's watching me, or. Um, Oh, I can't. Th- I, of course, I'm drawing a blank on other songs, but basically any song that has to do with watching or being watched and you see the camera slowly moving, you know that eventually Sully's going to be sitting there. Yeah, like this. Sully will be sitting there staring at Christian from across the room. We're at the bottom of the stairs, just kind of peeking around the corner. Cat's creepy. We, we, we know so little about cats and their secret world. Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG. That's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C-J-O-B. Talk soon.